Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Oh, boy, this interview I've got in store for you is so fantastic. I interviewed Malik Parikh, who wrote a book called Future Proof Your Career and Company. And we have the most brilliant conversation on how leaders and companies are going to need to address the dramatic change that AI is going to create in our future. I have so much fun talking to him about future proofing, about upskilling employees, about thinking about developing skills that intersect your passion and your purpose and skills of the future. It is truly a remarkable interview. To give you a little bit of background, Malik is an award-winning CEO of global companies such as Inspiro and SPI Global. Under his leadership, these companies have won over 100 awards, including Best Company of the Year, Best Employer of the Year, and Best Leadership Team of the Year. He was recognized as the ICT CEO of the Year, and you are going to see why during this interview. So hang tight, and I'll be right back with Malik. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I am with my guest today, Malik Parekh. Malik, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Hey, Gary. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. All right. Let's jump into this interview. I'm very excited to talk about your book and disruption and all of the interesting thoughts that you have on this. So I'd like to start off with you telling us about your passion of inspiring and preparing leaders for the disruptive decade ahead. How did you develop this passion? Until very recently, until March of last year, uh, Kerry, I was CEO of one of the largest business process outsourcing companies here in the Philippines. And during my last three years as my CEO stint, I started noticing three different trends that were really gaining speed and momentum and strength. And I, I'm talking about artificial intelligence. I started seeing it infiltrating through our workflow, our processes, our jobs. I started noticing that digital natives were uh, storming the workplace in large numbers. In fact, almost 95% of the people that we hired in the last three years were uh, either Gen Zers or millennials. And the third thing I noticed was that uh, we were starting to compete with people's uh, desire to be an entrepreneur. So suddenly we were dealing with people who were freelancers and they wanted to become their own bosses. They wanted to become their own masters of the destinies. And so uh, suddenly we were not just competing with other employers in the neighborhood, but we were also competing with people wanting to be their own bosses, right? So those are the three trends that I started noticing. And when I was the CEO, I, I didn't really think that I'm going to end up writing a book. But when I left the company and we were stuck with a pandemic and I didn't have anywhere to go and do anything else, I thought I might as well do some little bit uh, research and uh, see where it leads me. And when I started doing research, I realized that these are really, really powerful forces. And while we are all very busy with the pandemic right now, and we are not looking beyond the pandemic, we are not looking at the horizon to see what is next that's coming our way. Uh, I thought it'd be nice to write a book that would bring people out of that urgent and important quadrant and put them into not urgent but important quadrant, which is, you know, what I consider as the magic quadrant. 
I love that story because I think so many people were looking at the pandemic going like, what does this mean? How do I ship things? I'm really happy that you wrote a pandemic book. I have a pandemic book myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think that you're addressing really uh, important topics. And so how do you feel that this next de decade is really going to shape up? And is it going to be the most disruptive time period of our lives? Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, that's, that has been true for any decade, actually, if you look back. Uh, every decade gets increasingly more disruptive, right? Just because the speed with which change is changing is just uh, accelerating quite a bit. So there are three reasons why I think it's going to be probably the most disruptive decade of our time is because um, artificial intelligence is about to really have a major impact on the types of jobs and the number of jobs that we do today. So if you look at, uh, for example, a study done by McKinsey, they figured out that some up to 375 million jobs are at risk because of automation and artificial intelligence over the next decade. If you look at the statistics around digital natives, today, we thought that millennials were the largest generation of our time, but they have been taken over by Gen Zers. They are 2.47 billion Gen Zers in the world, very closely followed by millennials who are 2.4 billion. And if you look at what their impact will be in the workplace, by end of this decade, by 2030, two-thirds of the global workforce will be made up of digital natives. And so the people we have been ignoring or frowning upon or just, uh, you know, not paying at any attention to because they are the hippies, you know, the headphone wearing, soil latte drinking people in their own world, they would be in a position of power and influence uh, by end of this decade, right? So we need to start paying attention to them. And the, the freelancing is a powerful force because uh, almost 51% of the freelancers, when they were asked how much money would it take for them to go back to traditional employment, they said no amount of money would entice them back to traditional employment. So it's another powerful force that's going to change who gets the job done, how they get it done, when they get it done, where they get it done. So what do you think this is going to do to inequality, right? It seems like the countries who can really harness the power of AI and potentially create those new jobs or bring jobs that were traditionally overseas back in country, what's going to happen to the inequality problem that we already have? Is it going to get dramatically worse, do you think? Yeah, and I think um, I write an entire chapter about uh, the need for reskilling and upskilling our yeah. employees. You know, and if you look at the history as a society, as as a world, we have done that. You know, we have taken time to uh, move people from agricultural-based society to manufacturing, and then we transfer people from manufacturing to service-oriented jobs. But if you look back at the history, it took us sometimes decades to move yeah. people from agriculture jobs to manufacturing jobs and from manufacturing to service jobs. The only challenge we have is that, uh, yes, we'll be able to do the same thing again, where we'll be able to upskill and reskill our uh, workforce so they can work with AI, they can partner with AI, they can complement with AI. But it's, we don't have the luxury of few decades you know, that the change is so rapid that unless mm -hmm. we take this issue with urgency, the sense of urgency it re deserves, 
we may have a situation where we'll have a bunch of people who suddenly find themselves without a job and they don't have anything else to do. And right. I give a couple of examples uh, in the book. Amazon, for example, uh, just recently announced, like I think two or three years ago, that they're going to spend almost a billion dollars reskilling and upskilling employees who are impacted by AI and automation. In fact, over 100,000 people who are working in their warehouses would lose jobs just because almost everything in their warehouses is done by automation and an AI. So what they are doing is they're taking these people and introducing them to the jobs that Amazon knows it will need. You know, the people with data science skills, people with technical skills, people with coding skills. And even if you are not a coder, if you have the inclination towards uh, digital creativity, then they are able to change those requirements for the people and put them through that upskilling and reskilling program. AT&T has done the same thing. Uh, they have essentially gone from hardware-centric business to software-centric business. So they have taken over half of their employees who were only focused on hardware and put them through upskilling and reskilling so they can actually do software-centric work, which is where the company is going. So these are the kind of a micro-level examples of what the companies are doing. But if you take a step back and look at what the countries can do, we can learn a lot from what these companies are doing. I think of the example of the U.S. offshoring textile manufacturing, right? When AI can make t-shirts cheaper in country than, say, they do in Bangladesh, like yeah. what that happened, right? The, the countries who have enough money to be able to really invest in upskilling their labor and, and invest in AI are going to leave those countries behind who have been supporting with those manufacturing jobs that you know, are very people centric. And so I, you know, I think it, it's more than just a, co a company by company issue. It really is a country by country issue. And one that I think that we as a society need to, to really take into consideration, you know, with global, with, uh, with climate change, and then with the introduction of AI and, and really how that's going to dramatically change, you know, countries are going to be forced to change you know, what they do, where people live, how they, how they work, how they survive. So I think we have some very disruptive decades ahead of us as we figure out how to grapple with these challenges. You're hitting it right on the nail. You know, I live in the Philippines. Uh, I've been here in the country for 14 years now, and I see some major impact because of these trends to how the country operates here, you know. So there are some 1.3 million people, just to give you an idea, working in the business process outsourcing, you know, the offshoring industry, a lot of these jobs are getting impacted now because of AI, because a lot of the companies who have their operations in the Philippines are U.S. or European-based uh, companies or Australian companies. They already have AI in their system, and it's already starting to change the types of tasks these people are doing. And in some cases, companies are realizing they don't need as many people. So as a country, I think we'll have to figure out what does that mean at a macro level? How do we reskill and upskill these employees so they don't lose their jobs, right? Uh, the second thing that's happening that is quite interesting in the Philippines is that I'm sure, you know, you have come across Filipinos who work in the U.S., uh, whether yeah. in um, hospitality industry, whether they are nurses or doctors, they're everywhere, right? Just like the Indians, uh, you can't uh, run away from them. Because of freelancing, it's completely changing the way Filipinos now support their families 
living in the Philippines. In the past, they would have to actually pack their bags and look for a job in countries like US, Australia, UK, etc. Now they can live in the Philippines, work as a freelancer, and support a client that's working uh, or uh, is headquartered in the US, UK, Australia, or other parts of the world, and make a decent living, make a market-driven wages versus what they would make just living in the Philippines, working for a Filipino company. So that is also changing the dynamic in the country here uh, as to how many people are required to go out of the country to support their families and uh, their siblings and their grandparents in many cases. Yeah, that's fascinating. And what's going to speed up the adoption of AI technology here in the U.S. is certainly the fact that we have this massive labor short shortage for, you know, a variety of reasons, our immigration policies, people wanting to work for themselves, gig economy, you know, people starting new businesses, people being forced out of the workforce because they have to be caregivers, right? It's a very complex issue that we face. But if we can't hire workers, we are going to have to figure out how to automate things and use AI to be able to you know, continue to run our businesses and eventually grow and thrive again. And so it's just really this interesting aspect that we're looking at here is, okay, you know, what traditionally, well, maybe I would say AI and technology would come later on down the road. I'm certainly thinking about it um, from a different perspective now of like, what happens if, if we don't have people to do these jobs? And so it's going to be almost a self-fulfilling prophecy of, needing to upskill the workers that you have, but also needing to be able to produce things that workers used to who now don't want to do those jobs. No, absolutely. I think it's something that I see across the world. You know, everybody's yeah. feeling that. The silver lining, though, if there is any, is that because of technology and because of the emergence of freelancing, we are not constrained by people living in our neighborhood to work as employees, yeah. right? Uh, now you can cast a wider net around the world. And I think companies who will figure out a way to combine these freelancers as part of their overall HR strategy are going to be the ones who will continue to thrive because uh, the old model of, oh, well, the only way the company would work is to go out and hire full-time employees who are dedicated to uh, what you're doing. They are living in a 50 mile radius around your offices and that's pretty much it. That's gone. So yep. you have to kind of also look beyond that and say, you know what, if I'm looking for a software engineer, do I need to have somebody who is working in Silicon Valley? Can I hire somebody from Russia? Can I hire somebody from India? Can I hire somebody from the Philippines? Same thing, a lot of the healthcare related products are now being offshored because of technology you don't need people living in your neighborhood a lot of the medical treatments and support is provided by over the phone do you yeah. need to have your nurse in your hospital uh, could you connect the patient with a nurse who is equally equipped to help you with your basic queries obviously if something is terribly wrong and something that requires you know the attention of a medical professional a doctor then you obviously go and uh, look for that person uh, in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. So besides rethinking uh, talent management, talent acquisition strategies, how else should companies adjust their strategic plans going forward? 
Yeah, so I think I give uh, five things companies should do in my book uh, to future-proof their companies. And I'll, I'll just, you know, highlight a couple of them. The first thing that is a must is that people would need to transform their business model so that they are a technology company first before being a healthcare company or before being in the food business or before being a retail company. And I give an example in the book about how Domino's Pizza, for example, has taken eight years, even before the pandemic, to digitally transform themselves. I used to live in the U.S., very close to where you are, Kerry, and I remember going to Domino's Pizza quite a bit. I put on probably 20 pounds just eating their pizza all day long. But at that time, my biggest pet peeve with them was that you can only order pizza by calling their 1-800 number or their local number or by walking into their stores. Uh, now, because of the digital transformation they've gone through, you can order their pizza 15 different ways. They have an app for it. You can just send a pizza emoji to their phone number, and within 30 minutes, they send you your favorite pizza at your home. I mean, it's unbelievable. They're also trying out delivering pizza with drone. They, were, they became the very first company to deliver pizza by drone uh, doing a test in New Zealand, for example. Why is that important? Look at what happened to their financials versus what happened to the financials of Pizza Hut. Domino's Pizza had the best year in 2020, despite the pandemic. Their revenues and margins grew by double digit. In contrast, Pizza Hut filed for bankruptcy. Why? Because Pizza had not, they did not embrace the digital transformation as they done by uh, Domino's Pizza. So one paid the price for not having digitally transformed themselves. The other one benefited from it. So if you were to ask somebody at Domino's Pizza now what business they are in, they would probably say they're a technology company now that happens to create amazing pizza. And this applies to every single industry. So companies have to really take a step back and say, technology is no longer just a nice to have, it's a must have to make sure that they're improving the quality of the customer interaction and customer experience. They're improving the quality of their employee experience. And they are once in a while tweaking their business model. So that's the first thing companies uh, probably should do. Take a step back and look at the strategic roadmap when it comes to digital transformation. The second thing you have to do is uh, become very innovative. And, a, you know, a lot of companies when I do some consulting gigs here, when I'm doing keynote uh, addresses with some of the corporations, in the Q&A, people always ask, so how do you instill innovation in our culture? And I said, well, you know, I have seen companies who just take their executives on a boondoggle trip to, um, you know, they will go there to Silicon Valley and spend like a week in the board or the CEO thinks that by, you know, taking them to Silicon Valley and have them breathe in this innovation in the air, they will come back and they will be able to do the same thing for their organizations. And that's not the case, right? Or they think that, oh, well, you know, we are a 150-year-old company. We are very traditional in our nature. Maybe one way to become innovative is to go out and buy a startup. But what happens is if their basic culture is not innovative, this startup will basically wither away in that organization. So those are not the ways to go about becoming innovative. What do you need to do? You have to 
embrace the timeless aspect of your company. And what is the timeless aspect of your company? That's the collective ingenuity and creativity of your employees. Look at the example of Netflix versus Blockbuster. Blockbuster was married to the temporary aspect of their business model, which is let's just rent DVDs and videos through our brick and mortar store. They did not change the strategy. And what happened? I mean, after being the household name in the country and one of the fastest growing companies during our recent past, they had to file for bankruptcy. Whereas Netflix kept changing their business model. You know, in 1999, they became the first company to sell rent DVDs by mail. Then they started streaming the videos and DVDs uh, in 2007. And then in 2013, they became uh, the first company that was not only just doing streaming, but making their own movies. In less than two decades, Carrie, they went from mailing movies to making movies. Yeah. All because they were not married to the temporary. They were married to the timeless aspect of their company. And what does that mean? It means they went out and looked for the best people they can find and created a culture where these people can embrace their creativity. These people can manifest their creativity. These people can actually come and shake things up within the organization. Yeah, I think those are two excellent examples. And my company, we're going through a very similar thing, you know, tool manufacturing company becoming a technology company. And it's so interesting. We just had a company meeting uh, yesterday and we were showcasing our first IoT enabled product that we're, uh, that we're launching and all of the digital assets that go with it and how customers are interacting through the app and through the portal where they can collect the data. And then seeing that roadmap and, you know, I, I am in it every day. And then when you step back and you see like how much you change in just a short period of time, like we are such a different company than we were you know, two years ago when, you know, we were addressing, you know, what's going to happen with this, what's going to happen with the world and the pandemic and hacking and all of these different things that had happened. And so I think you're right that when you really step back after two decades, like you can see, but even just after two years, it is amazing what a company can do if they embrace that idea of we're going to take our core, we're going to innovate on it, we're going to keep what makes us special, and then we're going to figure out how to deliver it in a way that delights our customers and delights our, our employees through interaction of technology. So it really can happen and not just big companies like Netflix. So, I mean, they weren't big when they started this, but little tiny companies like mine can go yeah. through it. And I, a lot of people go like, well, it's just overwhelming to think about making that change. How do we even get started? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think uh, if there is any blessing in this disguise through this pandemic is that it really forced us, uh, forced is the right word, actually. It forced yeah. us to think out of the box to embrace digital transformation, to embrace innovation. And I've seen that in all kinds of companies, Gary, to your point. Uh, yeah. Very small companies to medium-sized companies to large organizations went through massive transformation. And I think if there is any message that we can really carry away from this pandemic over the last 18 months, is that let's not wait for the next big shakeup in our world before it happens, like what Domino's did, right? Uh, they started their digital transformation journey in some 2012, some eight years before the um, 
the pandemic hit us. So they were not even thinking that, okay, well, let's prepare for the pandemic. They were just saying, how can we become better? How can we become uh, more customer friendly? How can we become more employee friendly? How can we have a business model that will continue to thrive over the next 20 years? And so that's those are the three questions I think we all need to ask, despite whether we are dealing with a pandemic or not. Yeah, I really like that. You know, when we started our transformation, it was really driven by safety, right? How do we make sure that the people who are using our products don't hurt themselves? And then, you know, as all of this has transpired and, and labor has become even bigger, a bigger issue, now we realize like, oh, what we're creating is a product that's going to solve the labor issue, not a safety issue. And I don't think that when, I mean, for sure, I know when we started this journey back in 2013, it was not going like, oh, we're, there's not going to be anybody to do this work in the future. And so it's been really interesting to see how all of a sudden you have a different view of the problem that you're trying to solve as you yeah. start this whole journey through digital transformation. It might look very different as you start to progress through it than, than the vision you had when you started out. I mean, have you experienced that too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the companies that I consulted with it, uh, recently, Carrie, they have been one of the biggest event management companies here in the Philippines, and their model was very successful. I mean, uh, all of their staff members were full-time. If you want to do set up an event, if you want to have a PR uh, event, you go to them and they will take care of everything because they had hundreds of people with the right skill set on their payroll all the time. But they needed them because the business flow was that good as well. But during the pandemic, because there were no events uh, and most of the events started moving to digital uh, platforms and they were not as lucrative anymore, they came across the biggest, you know, what I call uh, survival question to deal with. And their, their question to me was, Molly, we cannot even afford to pay the rent anymore. And we can't afford to have these uh, traditional employees, but we don't let them go. And it took us almost a month back and forth and a lot of uh, therapy sessions <laughs> uh, together to bring them to a conclusion that it's not about just what is happening because of pandemic now, but the world is never going back to what it was before the pandemic. So they would have to change their business model altogether anyway. So today, I'm so happy to report that they have become essentially a virtual company. They don't have the office space uh, that they were paying uh, you know, top dollar for. Uh, all of their employees are no longer traditional full-time employees. They have 50-50 split. 50% of their employees are full-time. And then they went out and uh, found the right partners, freelancers, who can come in when they need. So suddenly, when they were worried that whether they would survive, whether they would have the money and the wherewithal to pay for their employees, uh, pay for the rent, they are in a very unique situation. They are thriving again. Uh, they have become now the biggest uh, host of digital events in this part of the world. Yeah, that's a great example of how to pivot successfully. But how about all the companies who fail at digital transformation? <laughs> What is the biggest mistake that you think they make? I think the biggest mistake when it comes to digital transformation, Carrie, is they think digital transformation is about technology. Mm -hmm. So they go to this, you know, industry events, symposiums, exhibitions, and they come across the latest buzzword uh, out in the marketplace. They come back and say, you know what, maybe 
if we buy that product and stick it into our legacy system that's been there for 60 years, maybe we'll be digitally transformed. And that's kind of an upside down model. What I write in the book is that digital transformation is not about technology in the sense that technology is the end. Technology is the means to an end. So if you start your digital transformation journey with three critical goals, just ask a very simple non-technology question. What is it that we can do today to make our customer's life easier? How can we create an incredible customer experience at each touch point? That will start giving you answers as to what else you need to do. And if those things that you need to do require technology, then you go out and buy the right technology that fits the bill. There are things that you can do that doesn't require any technology. And then those things, you know, you go and do it uh, irrespective of it. If that simply means you just change the way your call center agents are scripting, you know, changing a script doesn't require any technology. It's just a creative process. The second thing you have to ask yourself is, how can I make my employees more productive? How can I make my employees employee experience better so that I can attract and retain the best quality of employees out there? That would start giving you answers. Oh, okay, well, you know, if I do A, B, C, D, I can, you know, hopefully keep them better. If there are still paper trails for the employees to file if they are looking for a vacation, then maybe that's the first thing you need to change. Uh, is there a way to digitizing the entire process? You know, as it's a kind of a simple example. And the third thing you have to do is you have to take a step back. And that's a strategic question. It probably for the C-level and the board is, do we need to tweak our business model? Would this business model be relevant 10 years from now? Mm -hmm. And if the answer to that question is no, then you have to ask yourself, then what is the business model? You know, it's just the same question Domino's went through. Are we a pizza company that happens to use technology or are we a technology company that happens to create amazing pizza? So those are the three things that can help companies become better at digitally transforming themselves. If the only thing they focus on is the technology and make it the ends versus the means, then they're going to fail at it. I love that. When I uh, am like filming out various things and they ask me like what type of company Stone Age is, you know, I never want to pick manufacturing. I wish they had a solutions as a service option. <laughs> you know, I think the yeah. way that we like box everybody in into these industries, like you think, okay, well, am I a hard good manufacturing company? No, I'm a solutions as a service company. And that's where I want to go. My customers are going to dramatically change over the next 10 years. It's going to look so different. And I'm not going to just sell a product, a widget to um, to a customer. You know, I'm going to have to really have a full-blown solution, including, you know, advisory services. And so that just made me smile because I was just frustrated the other day. I was like, I really wish they had solutions as a service because that that's where we're going with all of this stuff. Yeah. It's not going to be in these traditional industries that that we have labeled companies for the last 50 years. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think you are ahead of the curve. Honestly, I mean, that's where the world is going. It's a completely different way of looking at running your organization versus what we have been used to. Yeah, yeah I agree. All right. I want to talk about something that we discussed in the pre-show. And we were talking about 
where skills and talent are at a crossroad and people are really re-examining their lives and their work and their purpose in this view of, I have a crossroads, I have decisions to make. So can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Well, first of all, you know, I, I, I mentioned that uh, in my book that we live in uh, the golden age of for professionals. I don't think I wanted to be alive at any time in the history other than this time, right? Because if there is a song in you, you can sing it today and get paid for it. And I have seen many examples of that. Many, you know, baby boomers, for example, who are ending their illustrious careers, they're in their 60s now, and they know that the lifespan has gone up to 90, 100 at times. They have 30, 40 more years to go. And they don't all just say, you know what, I'm done. I'm just going to play golf for the rest of my life or bridge or poker for the rest of my life. They want to do something. So many cases where until recently they were just doing yoga, for example, as a hobby to stay fit. Some of them have turned into yoga teachers. They realize that, you know what, I don't need to do this as a hobby. I enjoy doing yoga. Why just not also share my passion with other people? Many of them were very creative, but they've been working as an accountant for the rest of their lives. They're like, you know what? Now is a good time for me to put that creativity to work. And many of them have put their profiles up on Upwork or on freelancer.com, and they're getting some gigs out of it, right? So this is the perfect time to be alive because of the technology. It allows us to be able to sing our song and not die with it but sing our song and get paid for it. What that means for the rest of us, especially as parents, I mean, I'm a, I have two couple of, I have two young girls and I always think, what are the skills I want them to learn as they grow? Yeah. You know, back in the days when I was their age, if you asked my parents, what would you like your son to be? They would say, oh, well, uh, he better be a doctor or engineer so we can get out of this economic crisis that we are in. Because those are the only two things options you had if you were good in studies. Now, I don't want to force that on my kids. I want them to experience as many different avenues as possible, put every part of their brain to work. I don't want them just become analytical. I don't want them to just become creative. I would rather they put both sides of their brain on fire and make something happen. Why? Because if you're just analytical or if you're just creative, artificial intelligence most likely is going to replace you because artificial intelligence is really good at doing one thing really well. So if you're the best paralegal, for example, today, chances are in 10 years, you will be out of job because a lot of what you do today can be done by AI. If you're a really good radiologist, chances are most of what you do would be replaced by AI. But imagine you are a radiologist, but you also have a creative brain and you are able to create something unique that doesn't exist today. Then AI cannot replace you. I actually said that the best way to live our lives today is to be like Leonardo da Vinci. Because if you look at his life, he was not just a painter. We all remember him because of very famous painting. But he was not just a painter. He was a sculptor. He was a student of math. He was a student of archaeology. He was a student of architecture. And because of his wide variety of interests, 
he was able to create so much value for us. So what would I want my daughters to be in 20 years from now? I want them to be like Leonardo da Vinci. I don't want them to be a one-trick pony. I want them to be a pony with many tricks that AI would have a hard time replacing. I went to engineering school because engineers made uh, a good money out of college. I was good at math. Guilty as charged. Yeah, me too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of engineer? Um, what kind? I did instrumentation and control, very similar to electronics. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mechanical. Uh, and But I'm a writer at heart. And my dad told me, you're not smart enough to graduate from engineering school which was like, you know, that sealed the deal. I was going to engineering school and, uh, <laughs> and I lost for a long time that, that love of writing. And then I decided I want to write a book someday. So I'm going to start practicing, start a blog. And then the pandemic, I think really shone that light on it. Like I can be a CEO of this service it, solutions as a service company, this technology company. And at the same time, I can be a leader, a leadership thought leader, and I can write and I can speak and I can start a podcast and I can do all of these things and it doesn't have to be one or the other, right? Like I thought back then I can't be a writer because I'm not going to make any money. So I'm going to go to engineering school and I have to be an engineer. And so that so resonates with me because I think that's why people are start, starting the side hustles or figuring out like, how do I bring more purpose and creativity into my work? It doesn't have to be an either or, right? Being able to do these things and analytical things, strategic thinking, tactical execution, but also still have a creative side, that's that's just creating unbelievable value in the world and inspiring in the world. So uh, so that completely resonates with me. But I just didn't see how doing both was possible before two years ago. No, I agree. You know, Steve Jobs um, said once when he introduced iPad 2 to the world, he said that the reason why Apple makes products that make your heart sing is because we operate at the intersection of humanities and technology. Think about it. So beautiful, right? So the world is in need of people finding those intersections because we all can be on the road that is technology or we can all be on the road of humanities. But only human beings have the ability to look at our background like you did and say, you know what, how can I combine all of my skill sets yeah. and create something that meets at that intersection of all of those skills, all of those talents, all of those inclinations, right? So one thing that we all have to do is just look at our lives and say, what, what am I really good at? Uh, yeah. What are some of my strengths? And where do those strengths meet? Is there something unique that I can create at that intersection of those strengths? If you can create something at those intersections, chances are AI would not be able to replace you because AI doesn't know how to find intersections. It can only do one thing right. It can be the best chess player. It can be the best uh, Go player. It can uh, uh, read memograms. But the AI that reads memogram cannot play chess, right? Yeah. We can. And that's the yeah. beauty of being human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're so right as we're thinking about the future generations and inspiring them to find those intersections. I think it's really important that we help encourage a love for learning, right? Because we don't know what those jobs of the future are going to be. Uh, you know, we as adults, as business leaders don't know. And how could children possibly say, I want to be this when I grow up now? So yeah. I think 
it's going to be so important to be able to learn how to learn effectively, to be able to develop those different skills in those, you know, needed intersections of the future, because it's going to change so fast. I mean, humans are going to have to be far more adaptable than we are as a whole to, I think, to, you know, to be able to continue to thrive. So that's why I look at my son. Like, how do I teach him how to love to learn? How do I teach him to not lock himself into a box of I am this, so I have to do this? Because that's what's going to perpetuate this problem that we have of, you know, potential joblessness in the future. No, I agree. I mean, you know, I was, um, I'm thinking of launching a YouTube for my passion, which is wildlife videography. And I was, I was just doing research on YouTubers and I realized that, uh, the richest YouTubers, the people who make the biggest amount of money from YouTube are in their teens. And the the way they make so much money, Carrie, is they play video games while millions of people from around the world watch them play video games. And I'm telling you that when those kids who are making millions now playing video games and making millions on YouTube were growing up, their parents were so upset with them because Parents had a vision to make them doctors or engineers. And these people didn't want to do that. But they stayed with it. And now see, if you ask them like 25 years ago, what would you like to do with your life? YouTube didn't even exist then. What would they say? Well, I want to be the richest YouTuber. No. So same (laughs) thing with my my daughters. I cannot tell them, hey, uh, I cannot even tell them become a TikTok star. Because guess what? 20 years from now, TikTok would be the past. It would be a passe, right? It would be something new. So I would rather, to your point, create an environment where their brain is just on fire. They're learning new yeah. things. They're adapting to new ways of doing things. Because if you can teach that, if you instill that in them, no matter what is happening to the world around them, they would find relevancy. And that's the, that's the important part. I'm really glad you said that because my son is one of the millions of people who turns into watching people play video games and it drives me insane. I'm like, how how can you even watch this? And so I'm going to refrain from putting judgment (laughs) on him for the insanity of watching other people play video games on YouTube and figure that, assume he's going to be inspired for whatever is coming down the road in the future. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. All right. So let's talk about leadership for a few minutes. So sure. you know, the podcast is all on leadership and, and we've talked a lot about what the future brings. What do you think are the traits of successful leaders in the future and how will that translate into successful companies in the future? Sure. So um, again, I, I talk about five ways or the five traits of a future-proof leader in the book. And I want to just, you know, highlight a couple of them. I think the first mm-hmm. one that comes to mind is that we all have to be a futurist. That means in our LinkedIn, we should go and add one more title to ourselves. Uh, all of us, whether we are an accountant, a dentist, a doctor, a janitor, no matter what you are, we should all become a futurist. And what that means is that we need to start paying attention to trends that gives us glimpse into where the world is going. And uh, a lot of the times, because we are bombarded by so much information and we are scrolling up and down, left and right, we miss so many of these trends. 
We notice them, but we don't think about them. We don't realize this trend can potentially gain momentum and can have that impact. So, you know, when I see my daughters having a hard time even finishing a 15-second TikTok video and they swipe up or down because they want to go to the next one, it tells me when they go to school and when they go to university one day, would they have the patience for a four-year-old degree? Or would they go for this very customized, you know, pointed approach to learning new things? And it kind of gives you a glimpse into where the world is going. When you look at people or even yourself learning new skills on YouTube, I'm doing that every single day. That gives me a glimpse as to where the world of education is going, right? When you see the trend of people working from home and companies surviving and thriving despite that, you see that maybe the world would not go back to 100% going back to the office. And what that means is people may have the luxury of living wherever they want to live. They don't need to live in very congested, expensive cities. They can actually go to suburbs or smaller towns. What does that mean to the real estate market? Uh, how would that change the real estate market for residences? How would that change the real estate market to the office space? Mm -hmm. uh, and how would that change the political dynamic? For example, in the U.S., typically big cities are uh, liberal in nature and smaller towns, rural America is, uh, you know, conservative in nature. But what if people from bigger cities start moving to smaller towns? Would that change the dynamic of how the politics is being played in this city? So when you start thinking about these changes happening in our world, you take a step back, you study them, you synthesize them, and then you extrapolate over the next five to 10 years and see how would those trends change your life in particular, your personal life, but also your professional life. What types of jobs or the tasks that you are doing today in your job may not be there 10 years from now. You know, I give an, I, I give an example in the book that says, imagine you are living in the New York City and it's 1890 and you are a horse cart driver because that was the primary mode of transportation back then. And imagine you spend all your time, effort, and money in becoming the very best horse cart driver that you want to be. That was the worst investment you can make in your life because in 20 years, city didn't need any horse cart driver. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I trying to be the very best at something that's going to go extinct? Or am I trying to become very good at something that has a potential of developing over the next 10, 10 to 20 years? Are you, are, are you trying to become the very best horse cart driver or are you paying attention to your world and learning to drive a car? That's a question that we all have to ask ourselves, right? So one of the key skills for leaders who will be successful in the future are the ones who are futurist by their very nature. They're curious about where the world is going. So that's number one. The second thing we have to uh, instill in our leaders is that people are still not going anywhere from the workplace. So you'll have to be an alchemist. In fact, because a lot of the basic mundane tasks will be done by AI and technology, it would be up to the leaders to bring out the very best from their employees in terms of creativity. It's no longer going to work and telling people, okay, these are the 10 things you need to follow and do it 
to the tea and then you go home. Now you have to deal with people who come, you give them a blank canvas and say, create something on the blank canvas. That's a different skill set than what we have been using in the past. In the past, we just say, okay, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to work today and I'm going to tell my employees to follow the processes, follow the rules, stay within these boundaries, and that's pretty much it. Now we go to work and we have to start asking people, there are no boundaries, there are no rules, there are no processes. Let's create something new because that's what the world would need from us. So being an alchemist in the sense of turning something that is mundane today into gold for the future. I love that. It so resonates with me and it is going to so scare so many people, right? <laughs> Blank canvas create. Oh my gosh, that sounds wonderful. But I mean, people are going to have to dramatically change the way they think about work to be able to do that because we are so used to just being told what to do. We know what expectations are. And uh, I think it's going to be a tough transformation for a lot of people to make. No, I agree. If, if you are um, somebody who likes to be told what to do, you are yeah. definitely going to have a struggle keeping your job because yeah. AI loves to be told what to do and it then learns to do it better than human beings. You know, AI loves to be told, okay, look at this mammogram and find whether the tumor is malignant or benign. And it yeah. learns from our own experiences and becomes better than us. So I think the future belongs to those mavericks, you know, the rule breakers who are going to constantly question you as a leader and say, this doesn't make sense. So instead of getting annoyed by these people, surround yourself with them because they are the ones who are going to make sure that your company, your organization, your team will remain relevant for years to come. Yeah, I literally just posted about this very topic on on LinkedIn today. You know, anytime you hear yourself saying like, why don't you just do what I tell you to do? Or, you know, why are you questioning me? Don't you trust me? Like, that's your biggest clue that you are going to be so stuck because it's not creating space for dissenting opinions and constructive conflict and new ideas. And so leaders are going to have to put their ego aside and say, what do you think? How do we do this better? And then not say anything so that people can find their creative voice um, with, from within. And that's been stifled in so many ways. No, I agree. And then, and, and, you know, one thing that I've noticed, Gary, every time I talk about it, one of the questions I get asked is like, Malik, but that sounds all great, uh, but it's like blue sky. How do I make that happen? It's so idealistic. And I said, no, it's not idealistic. There are companies like Spotify, Google, Amazon, who have figured out a way to make this culture work. In Spotify, in fact, they don't have the traditional hierarchy. They work uh, in a you know, self-organizing, self-actualized team of eight to 10 people. And those eight to 10 people keep changing based on the project they are working on. And within the team, there is no hierarchy. Everybody has a role to play. And they figure out who will take a lead on kind of getting everybody together. And that's pretty much it. And then that keeps changing also. So the whole fun, the traditional way, okay, well, I have to have a title for me to lead is gone. How do you lead without a title? Mm -hmm. It's going to be a very powerful tool, a skill that uh, you can cultivate. And there is no wonder that 
you know, the likes of Google and Spotify and Amazon are receiving thousands of resumes a day. Why? Yeah. Because everybody wants to work for those companies. And I tell people that, you know, if you're working for a boss that doesn't like your ideas, that says, well, we have done it and it didn't work, look for another job as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Because there are better companies out there who can give you a platform, a framework to bring out your creativity. And that's what you need to do. Don't waste your time anymore. Now is not a good time. If you were leaving 30 years ago, yeah, probably you didn't have a choice because, you know, there were only limited choices. Now the entire world is your choice. So look for the best people, best leaders that you can work for. And the mm -hmm. same thing applies to the leaders also. Look for people who are going to really push your limits. They're going to yeah. come and poke you a little bit every single day yeah. and, and learn to deal with it. I was actually just at an event. The title was called Rehumanizing Work. And I, well, I was asked for a quote for our local newspaper on it, you know, and how are you rehumanizing work? And I said, we've been rehumanizing work for decades. We're an employee-owned company. Like we have this culture of ownership thinking and we have a culture of self-leadership, like, you know, what self-leadership means of accountability and owning your career and owning your attitude and, and taking care of yourself and speaking up. And it is not hard to create. I should say it's not, it can be, it can be hard when you're changing decades long of, you know, a very ingrained toxic culture. It takes a while to transform that, but it is absolutely doable. And you don't have to be a big, huge tech company. You can be a little, you know, tool manufacturing in, in rural Colorado going, hey, we are creating this really engaging place to work where you get to solve problems and you get to work autonomously. You get to be part of the decision-making process. You get to share in the success of the company through ownership and start to just pick off one thing at a time to say, we're going to transform our culture. That really does inspire people to want to show up and do their very best every day. You just have to start at one place and then get yes. good at that and then pick off the next one and then get good at that. But it is possible. Not always easy, oh, but it is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, inspiring. All right. I have one final question for you. So I have yeah. uh, my signature question, which is about Reflect Forward, the name of this podcast. So Reflect Forward has lots of meanings. And I'm curious, in the context of future-proofing your company, future-proofing your career, what does Reflect Forward mean to you? Well, it, it simply means uh, something that we talked about earlier. It simply means being a lifelong learner. Uh, it simply means not living within the boundaries. It, it means creating that boundaryless mindset for yourself because that's what we need to be prepared for, you know, going forward. If somebody were to ask me, Malik, how, how do I make sure that I am future-proof both personally and professionally, the fundamental skill that they would need is being a lifelong learner, always learning new things, uh, you know, it, even if sometimes you don't have anything else to learn, go and find another hobby. You know, if, if you are really bad at dancing, go and find a dance class around you and try your luck at it. Put yourself out of your comfort zone mm -hmm. so that you have those muscles of learning to deal with uncomfortable situations because change is uncomfortable and change is only accelerating. That means over the next decade, you will be more uncomfortable than you have ever been in your past lives. And the only way you deal with that proactively is by learning to be uncomfortable on your own. Don't wait for the world to make you uncomfortable. Learn to be uncomfortable on your own 
just like you know when i look at my daughter uh, she didn't stay on her back all night uh, all day long when she was born she kept pushing her limit you know she learned how to stay on her back to turning over then crawling then sitting up then standing and now i can't keep up with her you know she's jumping around and i'm always wondering what is she going to do next imagine if as human beings we did not push our limits when we were babies we'll be still on our backs looking at the ceiling so when we know as babies that the best way to thrive and survive is by pushing our limits and being at the edge of our comfort zone why do we stop doing that as adults so that's a skill that we need to relearn how do you become comfortable being uncomfortable that's such a beautiful answer thank you so much for sharing that all right how can people find you and tell us a little bit about your book and what you're doing with it yeah well um, the book is available on amazon so they can search by name maulik parek or the title of the book future proof your career and company and if they would like to uh, connect with me the best way to do that is just go to my website maulikparek.com and all my social media handles are there i do have my own podcast carry and um, i just finished my first season so uh, if people are interested in these topics that you are obviously propagating there they can definitely check out what i'm up to uh, in those aspects as well and what's the name of your podcast it's a surprise future proof leader how fitting how fitting all right and i'll include all of that in the show notes as well so people will be able to click and easily find you this was a brilliant conversation i enjoyed myself so much i hope you did too thank you so much for coming on the show malik thank you very much gary i didn't even feel like i was on a podcast i felt like i was talking to someone who is feeling the same about where the world is going and having a coffee so uh, this was a great conversation. You're an amazing host because you didn't make me feel like I was on a podcast. Great job. Wonderful, wonderful. That's why it's called Conversations on Leadership. It's just meant to be a conversation. It's <laughs> great. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Hold tight and I'll be right back. All right, everyone, I'm back. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Definitely check out his book. I haven't read it uh, before uh, we did this podcast, but I have ordered it because, oh, I was just so inspired by this. I'm also going to have him come on in the kitchen with Breadware, my IoT video series that I do once a month for my IoT product development company, Breadware. Anyway, so I hope you enjoyed and I look forward to hosting you next week on Reflect Forward. Take care. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share, rate, write a review, like, subscribe. All of those things are always helpful. Thanks so much. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.